You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Thank you for that introduction, Pastor Morgan, and thank you for this opportunity. Hello, Mosaic. If you are just joining us, we are in our third week of the What's After ATX series, where we are joining with hundreds of churches across the Austin area to discuss what Jesus, the prophets, the the early believers had to say about the life that is to come or life after death. And we get to do this through the lens of near-death experiences. Now, as we get started, will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for meeting us here. Wherever we're gathered, please speak to us individually, collectively, so that our lives may daily reflect who you are and so that we may live for eternity with you. Y'all growing up, amen, thank you, Jesus. Okay, growing up in the the late 80s, early 90s, there was a lot of talk about the rapture. The rapture, when Jesus, the Messiah, we return for his children. Um, we would hear radio stations and pastors try to communicate their predictions. There were books and movies that, that tried to provide this realistic like imagery uh, to depict the words of revelation and to dis- that, that describe like Jesus's um, triumphant return. Now, as a child, this put the fear of God in me. I mean, I would be nervous if I called out to my mom and she didn't answer. If I was like, mom, and she didn't, I didn't hear any response because I knew that if Jesus was coming back, like she was going. And so it, it just made me like live in this really um, this weird way. Like I believed in Jesus. I wanted him to come back, but I didn't feel real good about it. So I was actually a young adult when the fears of the rapture like finally kind of subsided. And I remember the day I was going fishing with my my then friend, my now husband, Bradley, and we had pulled up to the pond and we had to walk about a half a mile to the pond. And it, I realized he left his keys in the car in the ignition. And so I said, hey, Brad, your keys are in the car. Can I get them for you? Would you like me to get them? And he said, no, um, if the rapture comes, I want who's ever left behind to have my car. <laughs> Does that? So it was, it's funny now, but it actually struck a chord with me then. And it stuck with me because it, it, like, here I am, like, I'm a believer. I, I know I love Jesus, but my perspective of, of heaven was skewed because of what I've been taught. I mean, I, I, I thought I was going to heaven. I knew I was going to heaven. I believed I was going to heaven. But in a way, I had a fear of heaven. I had not really heard about the beauty of heaven. I'd heard about the pearly gates and the streets of gold, but so much so that it was like, it was kind of cliche. And to be honest, I, what I heard about heaven and what we'd be doing in heaven, it made me think that heaven was going to be like, like boring. But to hear another believer appear and it didn't hurt that he was cute. Be excited about this life to come and actually preparing for heaven down to the minute details of his life. This made me reconsider my apprehension. A closer look at the pearly gates, streets of gold verses, they, they actually give a much more beautiful description of heaven. Let's take a look. Start at Revelation 21.9. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues, 
came and said to me, come with me. I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. When he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. You see, John is writing this letter in Revelation to the seven churches in Asia and to us believers in Christ. He's given them a warning, yes, in Revelation, but, but he's also given them, more importantly, hope. Hope that when we belong to Christ, that the pain and suffering that we endure in this life does not have the final say. There's hope beyond this life, and that's what we're living for. See, John is very obviously experiencing an outer body, divine visit to heaven. Many people who have had near-death experiences, they, they describe very similar details from their visit to heaven, this, this powerful, illuminating light filled with love, kind, angelic beings taking them on a tour. These large stone structures like gemstones that the light penetrates through. And everything, everything is brilliantly illuminated by the light of Christ. Maybe you're a little apprehensive about near-death experiences or heaven for that matter like I was, or maybe you're not. Maybe you're not like me at all and you're excited about the possibility of heaven. Either way, today we'll spend some time, just time considering the beauty of heaven through the, the stories of these near-death experiences. And along the way, we're gonna answer some, some questions. First, how can heaven be real? Then we'll say, what, what will heaven be like? Is our second question. And our third question is, how can I get to heaven? My hope is, whether you're a skeptic or a believer, we will all walk away encouraged. And we want to tell others, like, what heaven's like. And 
and maybe even if not already, we start conducting our, our lives down to the minute details um, in, in a way that's conducive to spending eternity in the most beautiful place imaginable, heaven. All right, first question, how can heaven be real? To get you thinking about the most beautiful place imaginable, what's the most beautiful place you've been to? Go ahead, type it in the comment section. Here's mine. Now, this was a tough choice, but Volcanoes National Park in Musanzi, Rwanda, Africa, in the Virunga Mountains, this one out. It's by simply viewing this photo, I'm incapable of expressing the, the very real, vivid beauty, peace, tranquility, love, joy, adventure I felt all at one time as we trekked through these mountains. Likewise, all the beauty, all the love of earth really is just a flat, two-dimensional, dull representation of a very multi-dimensional experience that God has prepared for those who love him and for those who want to spend eternity with him. The people that have these heavenly near-death experiences, they express, express similar sentiments. They say that the beauty of heaven does not compare to earth. I mean, of the, one, the thousands of people that have been interviewed, most observations strongly they, they correlate with each other, but most of all, they really fall in line with the, what the scripture, the biblical scripture says about heaven. Now, there's story after story in, in books about people around the globe who have these, never, they've never read the Bible before, yet they're echoing the Apostle John's description of heaven as we find in Revelation. Now, perhaps you're like, okay, that's cool. Their story matches John's story, but that still doesn't make a case for the existence of heaven. You're like, Rosalind, I believe in things that are observable, like science. Glad you asked. That's fair. I get it. I love science, if you can tell. <laughs> My husband actually calls me a Christian scientist, but I think he does that to get under people's skin. Now, I love Jesus. And I love science. I love science because it points to Jesus. Listen, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I firmly believe that truth. Therefore, everything we learn in observing science is in hindsight of the fact that God created it. And he communicates, I believe, he communicates with us through his creation. Professor George Washington Carver, um, a prolific scientist and inventor, he says this. He says, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will just tune in. So to consider the question, how can heaven be real? Let's look at some known, observable attributes of science and nature. Starting here, Albert Einstein developed the theory of general relativity. He had four dimensions in mind when he developed this. Three of space, motion in the X, Y, and Z planes, and one of time. This is essentially how we perceive our role as operating in four dimensions. 
In his calculations, Einstein accounted for the gravitational force. And this force is the force that governs the solar system. And as you can kind of see in this, this animation, the theory of general relativity associates the force of gravity with the changing geometries of, of space and time. Now, although the theory of general relativity is indeed fascinating, it did not account for other known forces like the electromagnetic force, which governs the interactions of very small electrically charged particles like atoms, protons, electrons. There was a separate law that governed the electromagnetic force. Now, for decades, scientists have tried to find this unifying law, a law that would combine the gravitational force and the electromagnetic force in a single law, and, and also the quantum mechanics, um, the forces that operate in quantum mechanics, under a single law, a single umbrella um, to reconcile, that reconciles or fundamentally works and coordinates together. And they call this, they, they put this all under, under the umbrella of the unified field theory. The Kaluza-Klein theory is a unified field theory, and this accounted for the electromagnetic force and the gravitational force. But in order for the Kaluza-Klein theory to, to work successfully or to work, period, it had to account for um, or had to postulate, postulate or suggest a, a fifth dimension. Now, the Kaluza-Klein theory, it had flaws, but it opened the eyes of science and the scientists and physicists. It opened that whole world to the thought that in order for the world to work the way it does around us, there could possibly and most likely very well is, or are, I should say, more than the four dimensions that Einstein suggested. In fact, Brian Greene, a physicist and the author of Elegant Universe, discusses how quantum mechanics, the laws of large things, only reconcile or work together if there are an additional six or more hidden dimensions. Scientists are saying that, or suggesting that we operate in at least 10 dimensions. This is beautiful. If our observations in science point to the need for additional dimensions to exist in order for the world as we know it to operate according to the known constants in nature, then why is it so hard for us to postulate or believe that heaven is an extension of earth in a dimension that is beyond us or all around us. I mean, why couldn't heaven be one of those hidden dimensions? Even more, this is what the Bible has been saying all along. Listen to the prophet Amos. He describes this, this heaven-earth connection by writing this. The Lord's home reaches up to the heavens while its foundation is on the earth. He draws up water from the ocean and pours it down as rain on the land. The Lord is his name. The prophet Isaiah, he records God's words as saying this. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Each verse alluding to earth being bridged or somehow connected to heaven. This is what people who have NDEs, this is what they describe, the near-death experiences, they describe this exactly, this, this other dimension-like experience. Somehow they're being linked or bridged to heaven while they're still existing on earth. 
They talk about not knowing they are dead because they can still see and experience the world around them. Dr. Eben Alexander, a Harvard neurosurgeon, he was struck by a rare illness causing his entire neocortex, this is a very like, crucial part of the brain, to completely shut down. What Dr. Alexander experienced reversed his thought that death of the body and the brain are the end of consciousness. Instead, he realized that the human experience continues beyond what is medically considered death. In Dr. Alexander's words, he says, as a newer surgeon, I heard many stories over the years of people who had strange experiences, usually after suffering cardiac arrest, stories of traveling to mysterious, wonderful landscapes, or talking to dead relatives, even of meeting God himself. Wonderful stuff, no question. But all of it, in my opinion, was pure fantasy. He goes on to say, my experience showed me that the death of the body and the brain are not the end of consciousness, that human experience continues beyond the grave. More important, it continues under the gaze of God who loves and cares about each one of us and about where the universe itself and all the beings within it are ultimately going. The place I went was real, real in a way that makes the life we're living here and now completely dreamlike by comparison just a little bit more. I saw that there, there are countless higher dimensions, but the only way to know these dimensions is to enter and experience them directly. They cannot be known or understood from lower dimensional space. It is fascinating to me how the stories fall in line with the details of the Bible. This brings us to the question, what will heaven be like? If you recall in Revelation 21, John is being given this somewhat of a tour of a section of heaven by this angelic being. And the angel is taking some measurements along the way. Revelation 21, we'll start at 15. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. As the angel is showing him a few sights in heaven, he takes out a measuring tool, a gold one, because he's fancy. <laughs> this is too good. And he measures over thousands of mi a thousand miles of jeweled wall. John recognizes the fact that angel that the angel has to give him these measurements in, in a, a, a way that a mere human can understand. This suggests that there are heavenly measurements, measurements that a human can't quite wrap their mind around. In my mind, I get to have fun with this scripture. I mean, I actually got really excited to see that there is science in heaven. In this small portion of scripture, we see metrology, the science of measurement, and in even a science of measuring that we can't even quite comprehend yet. You, you see, we'll, we'll be able to do what we were created to do in an enhanced, completely fulfilling, no stress environment because the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is full of water. In fact, Isaiah, he, he said, he, uh, in fact, Isaiah says, because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, 
the earth will be returned to its intended balance and harmony. He says the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the young lion and fatling will be together and a little child will lead them. The cow will graze with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play by the cobra's den and the toddler will reach into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is full of water. Can you imagine the adventures and exploration of heaven's beauty? Adventures that will not be completely unlike earth's beauty or our experiences on earth, yet these experiences will be much more expansive and made perfect. No death, no tears, no virus. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, I showed you a picture of one of the most beautiful places I've experienced. I say experience because it's it's more than just the scenery that was beautiful. It was the really the experience that makes my heart long for being there or, or more of that place. You see, nesting just a few inches away from me was this family of gorillas, the Agasha gorilla family. This is a picture of one of the beautiful black bats in this gorilla family, literally an arm's reach away and not a hair out of place on him. This experience is what comes to mind when I read the prophecy of Isaiah, the wolf will live with the lamb. We'll have total, and, and sorry, the wolf will live with the lamb, yes, and we'll have total access, safe access to God's beautiful creation. This is so good. Y'all, in another story, Gary met his best friend, John, at the gates of heaven during a near-death experience. John had been tragically killed in a horrible accident on earth. And Gary met him there at the entrance of heaven, fully restored. John had so many wonderful things that he wanted to show Gary. One of those stops included a school area playground. And Gary says this, he says, I saw a tiny little girl with long brown hair that hung in ringlets down her back. She wore a white robe that glistened in the light of our Lord. She had sandals on her small feet. When she saw Jesus, she began to run towards him with her arms stretched out. Jesus stooped down and caught her as she leaped into his arms. Then from all directions, children came running to see Jesus. There were children of every color. They all wore robes of white and sandals. And while Jesus was ministering to them, all sorts of animals were with the children. It was an awesome sight to see a magnificent lion frolicking with the children as if it were a kitten and seeing birds of elegant beauty sitting on shoulders and tops of heads. Wow. I had to sign my life away to go play with those gorillas in Africa. And here we, we'll get to but that, that finite experience, that, that time that I had with the gorillas, it allowed me to now witness on earth what I'll have access to for eternity. Fellowship with wild beasts. That will be made perfect in heaven. The prophet said, he, he doesn't, Isaiah doesn't just give us this glimpse of heaven. He, but he tells us just a few lines before that. He actually tells us how we can have access to this promise. This brings us to our third question. How can I get to heaven? Let's take a look at Isaiah 11. 
Then a shoot will spring from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Listen, here the prophet, he, he describes the Messiah Jesus. He's, he's the, the only way that we will have access to the promise of heaven. He, not only does the spirit rest on him, but when you receive Jesus as your personal savior, you have complete access to his presence. And that same spirit that rests on him now resides in you. So now when you receive him as your savior, the spirit of wisdom and understanding resides in you. The spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, it resides in you and you have access to the throne, to the grace of heaven. That spirit marks you for eternity. Paul says, now it is God who establishes both us and you in Christ. He anointed us placed his seal on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a pledge of what is to come. You see, when you receive Jesus as your savior, that spirit resides in you. He marks you for eternity. He seals you with a promise of eternity. And he says, oh no, that, that one, the one that's marked with my seal, the one that's marked with my spirit, that one goes with me for eternity. That, that one lives in heaven. That one experiences the beauty of heaven for eternity. And that's what Ian's mom, that's what she spent years trying to tell him. Ian McCormick, he's a 20-year-old from New Zealand. He had this near-death experience that made him realize that his mama was right. Ian is described as a, a young surfer dude in, in search of the, the perfect wave, the perfect girl, the perfect high. But, but one night, while scuba diving off the island of the, the, the Indian Ocean, a school of box jellyfish. They stung in four times. One sting is deadly. In the ambulance, on the way to the hospital, Ian's life began to vividly replay before his eyes. And Ian says this. He says, my thoughts were racing. I'm too young to die. Why did I go diving? I lay there wondering what would happen if I died. Is there anything after I die? Where would I go if I died? Then I saw a clear vision of my mother. It was as though she was speaking out those words she had spoken so long ago. Ian, no matter how far from God you are, no matter what you've done wrong, if you cry out to God from your heart, he will hear you and he will forgive you. Now, Ian actually still wasn't sure that he was going to pray. He wasn't sure he believed in God. In fact, he, he, he almost had become this uh, devout atheist. And he recalls that he didn't believe really in anybody. And yet he couldn't shake the image of his mother, his head. Ian says, I, I didn't know what to pray or whom to pray to. Which God should I pray to? Buddha? Kali? Shiva? There are thousands of them. Yet I didn't see Buddha or Krishna or some other God or man standing there. I saw my mother and my mother followed Jesus Christ. And I wondered what I should pray. 
See, growing up, Ian's mom had taught him the Lord's Prayer. But he couldn't remember it. So as the poison pressed deeper into his brain, he pleaded with God to just help him remember the prayer. And so he began, line by line, to pray whatever came to mind. He said, forgive us our sins. And I thought, God, I, I've done so many wrong things. I don't know how you can, but please forgive me for my sins. And as, as Ian prayed, he realized that he, he didn't just have to be forgiven for his sins, but he had to forgive some people that he didn't want to forgive. He eventually slipped away and, and at first, uh, the, first found himself fully alive in the utter darkness. But we'll save that experience for later. Then he found himself before a holy God in a moment of feeling exposed and transparent before God. Ian says, I proceeded to tell him about all the disgusting things I'd done under the cover of darkness. But it was as though he'd already forgiven me and the intensity of his love only increased. In fact, later God showed me that when I'd asked for forgiveness in the ambulance, it was then that he forgave me and he washed my spirit clean from evil. This love was healing my heart. And I began to understand that there is incredible hope for humankind in this love, oh, so good. Y'all, John Burke in Imagine Heaven, he says one out of 25 Americans experience that in the, the near-death experience. That means one in 25 Americans get a chance to experience a very small, finite period of what their eternity could be like. That also means that there are 24 out of 25 Americans left, and the ratio is almost the same globally, that don't get to have that experience, that near-death experience. Listen, whether or not you, you have a, a near-death experience, you have to make a choice. 25 out of 25 of us have to make a very conscious decision on where we want to spend eternity, 100% of people, near-death experience or not, 100% of us have to make a choice of whether to accept Jesus as your Savior or whether to reject Jesus. There is no in-between. It's true. Many people that have these near-death experiences, they believe, many of them, some of them, not, not all of them, but many of them, they believe because they see. And someone's like, that's not fair. Listen, after the resurrection of Jesus, Thomas, he would not believe that Jesus had risen until he saw Jesus standing in front of him, nail pierced hands, pierced side. And then Jesus told him this. He said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, Thomas, he got to see the risen Savior. Just days after he was, he was, he had been crucified, died, and was buried. But you, me, us, we get to, to have these precious love letters. The Bible, 66 books of, of beautiful, detailed love letters that depict the coming of Christ, the sinless life of Christ, 
the, the crucifixion of Christ, the burial of Christ, the risen Christ, and the returning Christ. He's coming back. He's coming back in search of a people sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the only way to be marked or sealed by that Holy Spirit is to receive him as your personal savior, to receive Jesus as your personal savior. You got to believe that he died as the propitiation, the, the payment for your sins. He, and that you have to, in addition to believing that he died for your sins, you got to be believe that you are forgiven and you got to receive that forgiveness. Listen, if you have a desire to receive Jesus as your personal savior, I mean, you've heard a lot of stories, but you've got to make a decision on your own. But if you desire right now to receive him as your savior, to be marked, sealed by his Holy Spirit for eternity, Take this moment. Pray with me. You can just repeat the prayer that I pray. Dear, dear Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I make a declaration that I recognize my need for you. I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. I ask that you would please, God, forgive me for all of my sins, known and unknown, God, seen and unseen. I ask that you give me a brand new start right now, a new hope, God, a new future, a new hope for my future. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, make my heart your dwelling place. Mark me for eternity, God. Help me to live my life every day in preparation for an eternity with you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, that's it. Believe that you've received Jesus as your Savior. If you've prayed this prayer and made Jesus your personal Savior, let us know. Text us. The number's right there. You can text us right now so that we can begin praying for you. We can contact you and walk alongside of you, disciple you, help you as you learn and grow in the admonition of our, 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 our Savior. He is for you. He is not against you. He loves you with an, an everlasting love. Know that you are loved and you are prayed for. Thank you for joining us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.